Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's on a quest for perfect red. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to find that red? perfect red. Uh, I think it actually refers to as absolute red. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. And then explodes? It's very confusing. He, he he put too much whatever whatever yeah, too, magical do, whatever chemical. whatever he is putting into these flowers to turn them red is highly combustible, which is probably I not love, a safe thing to put in flowers. I love that all of the music, all of the flowers in this film are very clearly magic, just extra dimensional. <laughs> oh yeah, they don't. They they yeah. Everything that is done to them happens immediately. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the the flowers in this movie directly correlate to, uh, you know, magical realism. Yes, yes. It just, it it just does. I mean, like, shit happens with them in every way that is baffling. <laughs> and everyone's just cool with it. Yeah, no, and that's what makes it, the, that's where the realism part comes, right? Like, everybody's rolling yeah. with this shit. Like, it's like, yep, yeah. this is just how it goes here. Yep, that's yep. what flowers do. Always one doesn't turn colors. <laughs> And they always explode when you put too much in, and <laughs> they always that's how we rot get yellow over the flowers of... in this world as we paint them. Oh. That they rot immediately. Oh yeah. <laughs> to reveal the messages rolled up inside. Right. Yeah. They. I, I, yeah. They pop open in some weird way and shoot out messages, yeah. and <laughs> it's really weird. So this week we're talking about bed and board, or domicile conjugal, uh, which again is definitely a a different title, definitely a different thing. Um, 1970 film from Francois Truffaut. It is the fourth of five in the series we are working on going through the adventures of Antoine Duanel, is the name of the box set, starting with the 400 Blows, uh, the short Antoine and Colette, and... uh, I just lost the lost the name of the film we talked about last week. Stolen Kisses. Yes, yeah, uh, stolen, stolen Kisses. Man. We talked yeah. about it off it just disappears. Off air, but yeah. it, the, the titles are not Found good. It. They do not stick yeah. with you. Stolen Kisses and Antoine and Colette. We talked about this week or last week rather. <laughs> My brain is gone. Uh, this week we're talking about Bed and Board, and next week we'll be talking about the final film, Love on the Run. But Bed and Board this week is, as I said, Truffaut. Uh, continuing with the Antoine character, uh, always played very well by Jean-Pierre Lioud, uh and Christine, played by Claude Jade, who we first met in the previous film, and now they're married. Hooray! Yay! Wow. Well, kind yeah. of yay. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not <laughs> played great by at Claude it. Jade. Uh, specifically, he's not great at it. Yeah, he's not very good at being married. Um, and, I, and, and you know what, like to just really sort of dive into what we were talking about last week, um, this is where I start to actually like start to borderline dislike him. 
<laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, because, like, in the previous one, in Stolen Kisses, it feels like he's kind of a bumbling idiot who just sort of stumbles into these sort of mistakes and stuff. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, you know, because, like, in the previous movie, he's he is seduced by the older woman, the shoe salesman's wife. But, like, yeah. it's not cl- his relationship with Christine to us is very unclear. Or not Christine. Yeah, Christine. It's very unclear at that point, so I'm like, well, okay, like, you know, are they, you know, are they really a couple, is it, you know what I mean? Whereas, in here, you know, he's married, and now he's just, an, you know, he's just an adulterer, basically, at this point. He's just yeah. de- neglecting his wife, who has a, a newborn child to deal with, in favor of this other lady. So, it's, it's that, that, that's where I should, like... Wow. Okay. So we're not supposed to just like him. Yeah. Like that's not a thing we're supposed to do. Is just generally like him. So. Well, yeah. I don't think we ever. I think we only liked him in Four Hundred Blows because he was a kid, and you can't hate children. That's true. Um, that's well, true. I mean, you can, but although in Stolen Kisses, I don't particularly dislike him. Yeah. I I think I just I just like his attitude in Antoine Gillette, which we talked about last week. Right, um, but uh, I I have I have chosen I, to. Much like yeah. I ignore the new series of Star Wars movies, I have removed Anton <laughs> Collette from from Your this from the this from the Antoine uh, Danielle uh, Danielle universe because okay. I don't feel it is truly in sync with the rest of what we've seen. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. You'll just you'll write it out. That's cool. That's cool. You I'm do just that. saying, man. Prerogative. I'm just saying. Death of the author means I am a fucking ignoring that movie. Uh, you are a god. It's true. That movie doesn't exist. And and honestly, it considering how hard we had to work to get it, it basically it might as well exist not exist. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean I felt I felt really dumb. When I finally realized that it's actually on the 400 plus DVD. Well, and I felt kind of dumb when <laughs> like I watched I searched, it. And I was like, man. I searched high and low. I tried to find a copy of uh, Love at 20. And, and just, it was, yeah, it was impossible. Well, I felt really bad for you, honestly, because, like, I was like, he worked really hard for this. <laughs> nah. I mean, if you anyway. take, well, I mean, I'm just saying, if you take out the ending music and the beginning music, and the two-minute scene from 400 Blows, you're left with, like, 18 minutes of movie? Thereabouts. And it's 18 minutes of this guy just not being very good at, like, hitting on girls. <laughs> it's true. I mean, basically. Hitting on one specific girl. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I'm well, extrapolating Well, his best friend talks about falling in love with his cousin. That's one thing about this movie. Apparently, apparently, falling in love with your cousin was a lot more acceptable uh, in 1960s France. I'm going to assume that they're giving a wide berth to the term co- cousin, and it might be like Maybe. third cousin or something. I don't know, Fourth. man. I guess that's possible. You know, that is technically still your cousin. That'll make it. That'll make me feel better. That's a good interpretation. I, my, that's where my brain went because I was like, well, in lieu no, of any other 1960s France, there's no way he's just like, yeah, check out my super hot cousin, man. That's not, that's, no, that was not happening. She got her hair cut like Joan of Arc. So great. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, but we should yeah, probably so actually talk about Bed and Board. So this we, movie, should, uh, so, yeah, unlike the last film, 
I liked the last film where Antoine was going through a series of real-world jobs. All of his jobs in this <laughs> movie are clearly His fake. jobs also fit into the term magical realism. <laughs> so he starts off as the guy who dyes flowers. Which um, is a job? I, you'll notice there's a, kind of a question mark at the end of that. <laughs> like, I always presumed that flowers had colors of their own. Usually, yeah. I mean, obviously there are some... Uh, it is possible to dye flowers, and, yes. and because we know it's possible to do it, people will will sell dyed flowers. Um, but, but yeah, just the the fact that he puts so much weird science into it because you know how you dye flowers, you put food dye in water, and you right, water yeah. them with this. <laughs> well, see, that's what I'm saying. It's like to my mind, I've always imagined. Well, okay, you die you dye flowers when you want to achieve a color that doesn't naturally occur. I yes. assume. Like, because otherwise you can just buy the color. Like, you can just grow yeah. the color. Um, so you do it for when you... But, like, he's... I I get the impression that either Truffaut or the character Antoine or possibly this universe that they've created together um, doesn't realize that you can grow flowers of any color other than white. <laughs> Maybe that's just... That is... That is the key point where this differentiates from our, our universe. Our universe is where it breaks off. It's its own parallel yeah. universe. No, flowers yeah. are only white here. Yes, except for except for the orange ones at Christine's parents' house. Well, we presume. That was like... Yeah, maybe someone died that. And that's why people always confuse them. <laughs> no, but we only ever see that we're, that, that bulbous... Uh, I can't remember. I'm very bad at... I think it's a mum. I am very bad I'm remembering flower names. Too. I'm going to go with carnation because that's what I choose for everything. What flowers are <laughs> all, all flowers are carnations. All trees are oak. Yeah, all birds are blue. Actually, I know a lot more about trees than I do about flowers. I'm better <laughs> off with trees than I am with flowers. Sure. Why because not? Because I plant trees, <laughs> I don't plant flowers. At my house. But yeah, yeah. in this film, he starts off as as a an inventor of sorts, uh, concocting ways. New ways to achieve true red in the flowers, whatever he means by by uh, yeah, absolute red by absolute red, um, <laughs> which which ends up destroying the flowers. And apparently, apparently, his boss is is not a fan of of his experimentation or or wasting. He seems to have a plethora of the flowers available, so it, I don't know. Anyway, the fact that he does not achieve absolute red uh means that he's no longer interested in the flowers for whatever reason right so yeah instead like, he get, we instead definitely he gets get a, a different version of antoine in this movie because yeah. now we get he gets more capricious yeah it's like well i'm done with that now <laughs> yes. i failed then, one time to make absolute red so fuck uh, it flowers are yeah. dead to me and then uh and then the uh the job he gets, which he it is not under his own uh guile uh that he steals the job from the kind of jerk guy out in the lobby. And I'm glad that we know that guy's a jerk so we don't have to feel bad about him stealing the job from him. Right. But uh But the job he gets for an American hydraulics company uh is to drive toy boats around a yeah, it's model. Very, it's very, like, he he steals a job, but to be fair, none of the qualifications listed 
in that letter are necessary to do the job he's doing, which is driving fucking toy boats. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and also, in what way is that not a mistake immediately discovered? So, like, the owner has to know he made the mistake and just lets Antoine keep driving the boats? Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's just fucking driving boats. He's like, whatever, man, I don't care. <laughs> Antoine, no... you're doing a great job of driving those boats. <laughs> it's not like they're taking notes. It's not like it's being observed. No, it's no. It's, it's just Antoine driving the boats. Yeah, because, like, at first I was like, oh, this is, like, a serious thing where they're going to, like, because, you know, they build those models for, like, water flow patterns and stuff like there's yeah i remember when i was a kid there was like they talked about the famous one for the entire like potomac area that they built it was humongous so they could see like how the water would actually flow in real life based on their their recordings and stuff uh you know if they added a dam here what would happen you know what i mean but yeah that's not what's going on here he's just driving fucking toy boats like, as far as I can tell, there's nothing scientific taking place. It's just like, well, we want to know what it looks like when we actually put boats into this thing. And then he just drives them. It's it's really weird. It's like, for demonstration <laughs> purposes, they wanted a functional model with toy boats. I don't know, it's very confusing. Now, I will admit, I want his job. Because... <laughs> oh, I absolutely want his job. Because apparently rad. he makes enough money. Apparently he makes enough money to constantly be supporting his uh his wannabe writer uh friend who he keeps running into oh yeah it's like uh hey can i borrow 20 bucks i, I owe you 20 bucks uh give me give me 30 well, bucks we don't know uh, that he's I'll a wannabe because he does mention getting picked up for something at one point no no Doesn't in he? in the previous film mm. uh he runs into antoine and says Oh yeah, you know how I write those scripts. The the TV station uh, really loved them, and they're gonna they're gonna make some. Ser- they haven't done it yet, but they're gonna make some series out of them, and it'll be cool. Uh, but we see that immediately after we see him digging in the garbage. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he didn't say that the studios paid for those scripts. <laughs> that is true. My my point is is that the 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 the, the threshold between would be writer and not and and not would be writer is has he ever actually written something? Okay, okay, yes, he he may have actually written something, but he is definitely not doing it for a living, or at least uh, not for a living. What he's doing living. for a living is running into people he used to know, <laughs> and, and it seems to be working for him. And it does seem to be working because Antoine Antoine constantly gives him money without thinking about it until. The very final scene. <laughs> it's like, oh no, not gonna happen this time. But he's got a pretty good, pretty good gig going. I should try that. <laughs> just, need to borrow, just like wandering the streets of a place you you're from until you run into people you know. Yeah, he's like, hey, I, don't I owe you twenty? Uh, give me forty, and I'll, I'll I'll pay it all back at the at the same time. <laughs> it's a great plan. It just yeah, it except for the fact that it wouldn't work. No, I mean... It's a, it's a great plan not. right up to the execution of actually doing it and then realizing, oh, nobody would actually do that. Yeah, no one would give me that money. That's true. Especially when it got up to 50. I don't even have... I don't know anyone who carries $50 in cash with them. <laughs> well, I mean, this is 1960, so... At that point, you probably did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... um, Yeah, getting back into his... Uh, so his job is... is <laughs> A job a child could do, and actually a job a child would enjoy deeply. Um, But nonetheless, he does it, 
um, and seems to be pretty invested in it. Like it's, we don't really see him screwing it up per se. No, no. I mean, he he definitely does a thing he shouldn't have done, but not because it'll have repercussions on his job. No, yeah, th- at this point, he's doing his job. Yeah, the thing he shouldn't have done has really nothing to do with his job. Um, yeah, well... I mean, it could in the sense that, like, it could backfire all the way back to his job. But we don't yes. see that it does. Um, <clears throat> I gotta I gotta say, uh, we talked about Christina's, Christine's dad's uh, jokes last time. Mm. And he, he does do a pretty... He's got a pretty great dad joke that's the punchline to a scene in this film. Uh they're talking about what song Christine should play as a signal to Antoine to stop the woman downstairs uh, because she forgot to pay for the lessons again. Right. And and someone brings up Les Marseilles. Uh, and, uh, and, and Christine's dad says, no, no, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah, well, why not? It's like, well, you can't fiddle around with the national anthem. Yep. Because she's, she's, she's playing it on the, on the violin. And people call that a fiddle, and and it's hilarious, Pat. It's absolutely no, no, hilarious. I I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Um, I I I I also wrote that down in my dad joke notebook. <laughs> Good. Keep I don't that one think it's going to come up because I don't think I'm going to have any children playing the fiddle. Probably not. But you never know. Ah, well, people I mean, that's reason enough to introduce. Violin. That is reason enough to introduce the it's violin. Like, it's a, it's, I play the long game. I teach <laughs> myself how to play game. the fiddle. I put him in lessons. I put him in lessons for upwards of 20 years. Just yep. so one day, when he's not being paid for lessons that he's giving, I can drop that joke. And then everybody <laughs> will look at me kind of like maybe, like, maybe their jaws will hang open a little bit. Or maybe they'll roll their eyes. Yeah. Um, this is this is a movie, unlike the last film, uh, which you were right, right to say that Antoine doesn't really run from his problems in the last film. Um, this one, so much. on the other hand. This one he definitely does. Oh, yeah. He, no, he no, runs no. away we from that first that. job. Yep. Uh, he, he, he's obviously uh, marriage issues. Uh, he, runs, he runs to an affair and then tries to run, <laughs> tries to run away from the affair back to his wife uh, under the same weird emotional state he uh he even runs away from the prostitutes <laughs> yep uh the only thing he doesn't run away from is his uh is his boat driving job right I've because under- i've never understood how uh radio controls of that era worked because there's like no there's no steerage there's no no i have no idea no steering I, was mechanism. Watching, I, was like, I don't know it's what's just buttons um you just turn it on and off what, I what assume, good, like, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I assume maybe, What good like, does him have... having the boats there even do if if he's got no way to actually steer them? Like, I assumed that either, A, they followed a course, and he was just maybe. turning their ability to But if they follow a course, why are they all in, why are they all in a why bind they, hitting yeah, each other? Yeah, why do they crash time? into each other? Yeah. So, yeah. alternatively... It's got like two motors, and like you're just driving like a tank. Maybe. And just like turning one on or the other on or both of them on. I don't know, man. I guess that might. I was watching, and I was like, could they just not afford like a real controller and they just made this? I'm not entirely sure if, if at the time a joystick controller existed for, for like commercially available ones. 
No, I, is, I, I don't seen, know I've that. Seen, I don't know that. Rogue, I've seen Radio controllers Control was that like that at that point. I've seen controllers like that where they're just a panel with buttons. Uh, you know, in in cartoons, in older cartoons. So I just assume that they reflect reality and not someone's complete uh, disregard for the actual tech. I don't know that. I've well, not looked at the history of radio I, like, I'm trying to think, like, did, like, that sort of directional stick exist at that point? I don't know. I, neither do I. Um, I mean, by the time... The only, the only use for that sort of directional stick I could think of, um, it would... Let's see, it probably... Planes wouldn't have been stick-driven uh, for a while. Well, no, originally they were stick-driven, right? Right, and then it goes to... Yeah. And then, but and then but that's... To, I mean, that's that's not fly-by-wire at that point. That's like you're actually controlling no. physical gears. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, well, Pong was just a wheel. You turn the wheel back and forth to move... Hmm, that's move true. Up and down, which yeah, I mean is proto joystick, um, and we get actual joysticks just a few years later. Yeah, so I'm gonna guess that. Yeah, I mean, I guess like my so guess is that you're yeah. just yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're... maybe they just didn't exist. Wow. Well, yeah. Weird. Either way, his job is awesome. So yeah. I mean, either way, I want his job. <laughs> I can't. I can't say. I can see why he didn't run away from that. Um. Yeah. So. Digging into this movie, it's it's. I'm really. I liked a lot about this movie. Okay. Okay. Good. But it does have issues that bother me. Okay. <laughs> I, is, are those issues uh, almost exclusively around its treatment of Japanese culture? Absolutely, it is. <laughs> good. Um, which is why I'm really hesitant to really dig too deep into this, because this is a whole. This is a rabbit hole that has no end. <laughs> Uh, but just really quickly, um, I find, and this is a problem and I've heard it comes up a lot in like sort of Japanese sort of cultural studies and stuff, but the use of Japan as the exotic, yes, like, uh, the way she is portrayed is batshit insane, basically is what I'm saying. Yes. It in no <laughs> way accurately reflects Japanese One of the only things she actually says, one of the only things she actually says to him is, if I commit suicide with someone, I'll like it to be you. Right, which is nutsoid. It's total nutsoid. <laughs> Although, honestly, to be fair, considering the time period for Japanese history, I could see, and, and she is kind of portrayed as kind of a, a Japanese new wave girl. Like her yeah. style, like the way her like she's she specifically trying herself. to be. I could see that. I mean, I could see somebody yeah. saying that because she's kind of trying to be kind of. It, we're right in that sort of like proto punk time, and yeah. and Japan was really had a really strong bit of that kind of stuff going on at that time. We're right. We're right before Japan as a place where protests and stuff. Sort of, Japan's always had a strong culture of like, despite. The appearance to Japan of Japan on the outside. Yeah, Japan's had a very strong counter subculture community for a very long time. So um, in a way, she's she's saying that because she might expect it to be something that a French girl would say because because of the sorts of movies she's watched. Right. Yeah. It's it's hard to say. Like, but I I have a feeling like that one that the, that statement is actually probably the least offensive thing that she does. Yeah. I'm because I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're trying to make her. 
she's trying to pretend she's really cool or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, you know what I mean? Like that it's a character moment rather than a Japan is the place where everybody commits suicide moment. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. I which it might be. I mean, I'm, I'm just do. giving them the benefit of the doubt on this one. Because yeah. everything, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt on anything else. Um, <laughs> because we, we, we run into the fact that, um, oh God, there's so much. It's just so, it just <laughs> never fucking ends. Okay, so let's see here. They're all walking around in kimonos all the goddamn fucking time. All the time. Which is a thing nobody does. No. It it, it tells me that if if Travaux has ever, ever, ever been to Japan, he has been exclusively to Kyoto in the historical district, wandered around and saw a bunch of people in kimonos because, <laughs> you know, that's what you do when you're there. Uh, now, wait, is there is there a chance that since this was a business meeting for the father's business, that, that the wife and daughter would be in, in it kimonos is as a fancy although, dress? Although I will say that is very unlikely. Uh, Japanese people, typically the only time I've ever seen kimonos brought out, even when you watch like Japanese movies of the era, mm-hmm. is when somebody's trying to portray like super-duper old-fashionedness. Yes. Um because that's the sort of there's a sort of high class old fashionedness that comes with them. They would probably not wear that to a European business meeting. Yeah, especially that when you're nuts. That they would just not um, do that. Uh, but yeah. let's okay, let's give them the benefit of that on that. She continues to wear kimonos throughout their experiences together, which is just not a thing she would do. If there's just the two of them, that's just not a thing she would do. Never mind. Well, she doesn't. I mean, just, she doesn't while she's at her apartment. We have, or but at when least, they're eating, when they're eating dinner together, when they're eating, she does at the table by That's themselves true. on the floor. She is yes. definitely wearing a kimono. That is true. I can't, for the life of me, fathom why she would do that. Which um, means she changed into it to do that, right? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, but in general, my problem is this sort of portrayal of Japan as like this wholly unknowable place and, and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. But then also this sort of like her, I'm of really mixed feelings because I don't mind. I don't generally mind it when movies paint women as the, as the sort of sexual aggressor. Yeah. Because that's actually usually refreshing. It's like, Oh, okay. Like she wants this, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like there's a secondary stereotype associated specifically with Japanese women and more but more generally with Asian women, but in Asia, but very specifically with Japanese women about them, like being like oh, white yeah. guy chasers. So yeah. um, for her, this one circumstance, it bothers the fuck out of me. Um, I understand that. And when you listen to their conversation, which you guys, which most people don't get to her aggressiveness is even more clear right from the beginning. Yeah, the conversation she has with her roommate, and it, it is clear anyway. Without that, is like get the fuck out. Yeah, of here. Well, I want to have yeah untranslated, together. untranslated Japanese. It's still pretty it's clear. Still but clear. Like, it's, it's, it's still clear. It's still clear what's going more on. More of that shit. Yeah, in there, and it's uh, you know, and it, it's just I find it very, it's very bothersome. It's and then, then he gets tired of her and just kind of throws her away. And I will say. Yeah. The only thing I do like about their relationship is the way she ends it. Yes. So she ends it with her little letter. And I've, I've, I find that as a... It's kind of an endearing way that she, as a character, chooses to express herself. 
it's not as specifically I would say Japanese trait. Uh, so yeah. it's more of a character choice, which I like. Um, but you know, she wraps it up. I forget what she says. She says "kate ni" or "kate nishi yagare," which is like gets translated in the in the movie as "drop dead." Although that's not a really super accurate yeah. translation, as far as I can tell. Um, it would translate, I think, closer to like "fuck this shit." Yeah. Um, it's not directly addressed at him. It, it, it doesn't like it doesn't tell him to drop dead. Um, okay, so the the Japanese isn't isn't as overtly directed at him. As... No, I mean it's about him. Okay, like it's talking about in the, and mind you, this is me trying to figure it out because I actually spent probably an hour trying to figure this out because I asked my wife, who is Japanese, for anybody who hasn't figured that out after 180 episodes or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, and she's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you mean you don't know what that means? This is Japanese. It's like right here. She's like, I, I can't understand it. I don't know what it means. And I was like, well, you know, and it basically boiled down. She's like, well, I mean, we don't talk like that. Nobody, that, it must be like really old fashioned or something. She said, she's like, nobody talks like that. Nobody writes like that. And then, um, so, which kind of got more troublesome because I started digging. was like, well, I mean, I can understand English from 1960s. I mean, usually without much trouble at all. Uh, and so it just seems like that's not... It's very much not like the Japanese a person would necessarily use in that situation. Yeah. Per se. Uh, although what we did find out, you and I have kind of found this out together. I partially, through the research I did, trying to just figure out what the fuck it means. Um <laughs> I found out that that's the title of Goddard's Breathless in Japanese. Yes. That's Which the Japanese... you found out. What did you find out, Adam? Yeah, Truffaut, Truffaut wrote the original treatment for, for Breathless. Um, which I actually uh, remembered uh, because of a joke on... Uh, or I, I found out that he wrote it uh, because of a joke on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine that threw me out of the episode. Uh, because uh, Sergeant Jeffers, Terry Crews' character, refers to uh, uh, Truffaut's Breathless as one of his favorite movies. Oh, interesting. And, and I thought, wait, uh, Truffaut didn't direct Breathless. And then I looked it up, and, and uh, obviously I think it's one of the writers misremembering his own facts. It's not meant to be Jeffers making the mistake and whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> but but yeah, so so that's how I knew that Truffaut had written it. Um, the fact that I never really think about because why would I? But right. <laughs> until today, Adam. Until today. until today. Until today. But yeah, yeah. It's uh, it is the title of Goddard's film, so it's it's kind of you know a shout out too. And Goddard's Breathless is you know one of the other films with four hundred blows that established the French New Wave, um, along with uh, Hiroshima My Amour. Which we'll watch actually uh, in a couple of months. I think it's uh, it's a few months out still. Which is one I'm definitely looking forward to. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, um, I I, so I think. You, go ahead. Sorry. I think also with with Hiroshima Mana more um, more overtly, but there is there is a history of French interaction with Japan. Yes, um, there absolutely is, particularly in, in this cinema. era too. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that we discovered while we I, we were digging into this was that like. 
we're dealing with a time right around when the Japanese mainstream cinema collapsed. The okay. major studios collapsed. And so now we're talking about a time where a lot of independent filmmaking was taking place. And uh, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of inspiration taken from the French New Wave that went straight into Japanese cinema at the time. And so there's a lot going on here subtextually about it, you know. But in the end, Truffaut kind of stumbles into the same down the same bullshit dark alley that almost everybody who makes <laughs> movies that's not Japanese about Japanese with Japanese characters in them kind of does. Yeah. And it, that that kind of bothered me a little bit but like i actually would love to know more about her roommate because her roommate seems like much more of a normal japanese girl <laughs> like a normal character for a japanese woman like it's like oh you're just a person okay cool um yeah but you know it's it, it is what it is um it's it i i you know i can't blame him a hundred percent because our character on Antoine's behavior regarding her seems pretty much exactly in line with what his character would do. Yeah. You know, he doesn't behave out of character in the sense that like, of course he would become obsessed with this, like what he perceives as a character as an exotic woman. Yeah. Um, that's totally fitting for Antoine. Uh, my issue is, is that I would prefer if Truffaut had chosen to make her less apparently exotic yeah you know what i mean like less like less painting the exotic on the face of it and making it more like antoine's obsession with the quote-unquote exotic yeah you know what i mean because they travo goes almost out of his way to make her hyper exotic yeah and well the thing is i don't because that's not accurate to what people japanese people or any people are nobody's you know that (laughs) You know, nobody's that. I mean, the other problem is I don't think that, you know, she's painted as exotic so much, but I don't feel like Antoine's interest in her is in her exoticness. I think it's in her not being Christine. Well, that's true. A, that's true. But a willing I don't participant think... in in him escaping his marriage at that moment. I will say I give I have several reasons for why I think the exoticness plays a part in it. He is intrigued immediately by her. Okay. I yeah. mean, we we see him have trouble dealing with prostitutes and stuff later. Um, whereas he's he sees her and is immediately drawn to her, I think, because of that exoticness. Uh-huh. Okay? Which is why they, I think part of the reason why they kind of, in their mind, quote-unquote, had to show up in, like, kimonos and stuff like that. Um Again, I disagree with that choice, but um, yeah. Uh, but also, when he justifies it to Christine, he gives that whole like it's another world bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's and true. obviously, Christine conceptualizes it that way because of the way she reacts to it. Yes, she reacts true. in a way that points out that this is about the exoticness of her. Now, mind you, I do agree that I think Antoine is just using this as a vehicle to escape. Yes, but I think that the exogenous is a factor. In no, this. you're probably right because we see this behavior with Antoine earlier. Because the while not as like apparently exotic, the shoe salesman's wife is exotic to him in the previous yeah. movie. You know what I mean? I think She's that's painted well, as she... kind of like this sort of kind of 
sexual older woman that he finds intriguing yeah. and new. Yeah, and a member of a different class. You know, though exactly. Christine's a member of a different class too. Really, I mean, Antoine. Antoine, despite despite his parents, uh, his uh, his childhood means that he is he is definitely lower class. Period. Right. Right. Whatever. Whatever his parents may have had. They don't is influence not a, his class. Yeah. Yeah. There's not an influence on his own life. So, you know, he's he's hard scrabble. Um, or whatever, but uh, but so uh, but yeah no the the you're right to say there's a certain exoticness to the older woman in the previous home too, so and and I just think that like I think that we are supposed to think that that's why Antoine is attracted to Kyoko, and I think that we are. To emphasize that, Truffaut chooses to make her hyper-exotic. Yeah. And I think that's a bad choice. Because I think the, it's a bad choice, too. And I think it's a gross choice. And I think, like I said, it's a deep, dark alley that almost every director who has a movie with Japanese women especially, but uh, Asian women more generally, tends to walk down. And basically, you know... I really, 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 considering how good of a director he is, wish he hadn't walked down that alley. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, that was, I. It, this was a struggle. This movie, a large portion of this movie was a struggle for me to not be kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of grossed out by yeah. that part. And it's, I think, I think it's a fine line, too, um, that even in my old uh, my own life, I would have walked previously that I've become less comfortable walking. Um, in that, you know, there's a there's a chance that Truffaut is doing this because he thinks it's funny that people have these stereotypes. Right, Japan. and that's a possibility. It's another possibility yeah. I considered. The but, sitting, the sitting on the floor. And well, wait, but here's the thing: that's the weird and, thing is, is like the sitting on the floor. That's fairly accurate. Uh, yeah. and like, so, but I, my issue is it's also bothersome for me to like use somebody else's culture as a springboard for comedy. Oh. And when oh, you certainly. do it without making like, there's a few moments when they're interacting where it's very clear that we're supposed to be laughing at Antoine and Antoine's ability, inability to deal with yeah. new culture. And that's that's yeah. I'm okay with that, but you're still using your ja- the you know this yeah, but part of culture part of that joke proof for that part of that joke is always oh it's so weird that we could never adapt right right exactly and that's and I always I really do struggle when like and that happens not, that happens I, frequently that happens frequently with Japanese food uh, in in comedy uh, yeah you know, from the sixties moving forward post post war to today right and and that um, and that when I watched Antoine not be able to deal with that piece of whatever I can't even tell from the video what he's actually gotten his yeah chopsticks it honestly but like, it looked like just seaweed wrapped around something yeah I don't know I couldn't tell because my you know I'd have to like really stop and look but I really uh, want and, sushi now it's just a thing that's happening right now is I really want to eat sushi yeah you know <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that um, I kind of want sushi all the time. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, I mean, that's just, that it gets into this whole thing where, but here's the thing in France, in her apartment. Yeah. They might be sitting on the floor. That's totally a reasonable thing that might be happening. 
and 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 it can be difficult. And so I can I can kind of deal with that. But there's there's this sort of this like sort of plain Japanese culture for laughs kind of thing. Yeah, which does bother. And me. that's never cool. Whenever anybody does that with any culture, it's not yeah. their own. There's some. It, it does feel a little slimy. Um, but that's less egregious for me than the other parts. Like it, it is bothersome, but it's less egregious than the whole. I understand painting her as hyper exotic. All excellent points. So, um, yeah. And since so it, it does take you... up a fairly large chunk of the movie, it's uh, it it, it yeah. does have oh, no, a problem it's, for it's me. Absolute, um, it's absolute, absolutely, but it's not the only thing the that happens in the movie. <laughs> That's true. We also get a cameo from M. Hulot. Right, which is the best part of the movie. I just, I love, obviously, it happens because Truffaut's a big fan of Tati, and he wanted to do a shout-out to Tati, so Tati's costume designer shows up dressed as M. Hulo for one scene and just walks walks through the scene. Just, you know, just I mean, we focus on him. On a train, we, sta- uh, train platform. Yeah. That's it. Walks by Antoine, but gets on the train and leaves. And, and I think every movie should have M. Hulo just walk through a scene. Yeah, I no, I agree. That I is, agree. That is he a thing just that needs to happen more often. Something in every scene, or in it, every I, movie, not in every yeah. scene, because then it's just a it'll, Hulu movie. It'll be like like a Hitchcock cameo, but just Hulu in every right. movie. <laughs> Nothing to do with the forward. actual movie. He's just in yeah. there, making the world just a better there. place. And it'll be it'll be a fun game we can play whenever we see any movie. Waiting for the Hulu. Oh, there, well, so it's the, it's the it's the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, yeah, it's the Wilhelm scream, except it's an it's actual... Just way better. It's, it's a guy in a trench coat with an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> yep, who's, who's, who seems to be having a little bit of difficulty. Like, I so, I so much wasn't expecting it that I thought I thought it was that Antoine had bought a coat at first. Uh, and, then, and then the guy hooks the umbrella on the arm rail. I thought, no, nope, I know who this is. Yep, no, <laughs> and no. And I was I, so happy. Yeah, me too. So I, I was it. really, like... Is there, is what's happening really happening? Like I really, <laughs> it almost like double take. I, I was like, wait a minute. In my notes, I just wrote what with a question mark. Yeah, no, really yeah. I, I I essentially I, I broke down a little bit at that point. I, I couldn't deal with it. it. It was beautiful. It was wonderful, but it it, it broke me a little bit. <laughs> so also the guy who the guy who plays hello here, as I said, is uh, is the costume designer from Tati's films. Uh, is is named Jacques Cotin, which okay. has to be a fake name, right? He's the costume so. designer, and his last name is Cotton. Yeah. I I you know, you never know though. I well, mean, we'll attribute that to another World War Two. I picked my own. <laughs> yeah, this is a classic Harry Max situation. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh. But yeah. Uh, also, in this film, there is suddenly a break that seems like a toothpaste commercial. Like right around the half hour mark, what, what Antoine is uh-huh. Antoine is in the bathroom, uh, which uh, is like around the corner, so that the window from the kitchen faces the bathroom. Uh, and and he leans out. He doesn't have any toothpaste, and yells at Christina or Christine, and she says, "Oh, I just bought some." And and she gets the package off the top of this fridge, holds it up, and smiles, like showing the label to the camera. And then tosses it to him. Maybe that's exactly what he was going for. He's like just a little, little, a little, a little product placement, um, or alternatively, a little bit of a jab like at the, consumerism, like, like the Ford store in Eight and a Half. Just 
just a little like incomprehensible. <laughs> we like this product, so we're going to put it in the movie. Yeah. But yeah, it's just okay. So talk talk about weird tonal shifts, okay? Okay. The end of this movie reads like a bad sitcom. (laughs) Like they're on the stairwell, and then well, it's a throwback. It's a throwback to that same couple from earlier. Yeah, I understand that. I know who these people are. Yeah, I know why they're there, but the way he addresses the camera. And then we roll up like we like the fin comes in. It's yes, it's weird, man. It <laughs> it, it it actually I'm really torn about what it ends like. It kind of ends like a mix between a com- a a a sitcom and an '80s movie. <laughs> yes, because we freeze frame on his like disbelieving face. Like, I was expecting, like, the oh, Night Rider song to come on. No, what I even really love weird. more is before we freeze frame on his disbelieving face, his eyes are tied to the music cues. Yeah, I know. It's weird. <laughs> I can't... It's... It is so... It, Truffaut manages in that last scene <laughs> to take 100% out of the movie. Yes. I was in the movie all the way. They're running down the stairs, whatever. Somehow she she takes him back. I don't know what the fuck's going on. You know, but that's, I think, the point, right? Uh, yeah. Because we jump, what, like eight months or something like that? Yeah. Well, or a year. Well, that's I the other how. thing. Was the, was the guy he ran into in the brothel her dad? Like, like I, I get so confused with middle-aged white Frenchmen. I think um, yes. So, so there's this implication that you know, a little extramarital sex is good for the family. Right. Like, well, okay. Like he essentially says, he essentially says, he says, uh, a house like this makes for a good home or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's what they were going for. That's how I interpreted yeah. it. And, uh, which, which of course is a very French idea. Right. It's a very speaking. French. Yeah. A, and, and I don't know if Truffaut's actually espousing that notion or trying to take a jab at that notion. I'm not yeah. real clear on that. Um, Whatever. But, uh, I personally, as an American, being who I am, I find that gross, but whatever. <laughs> um, but the point is, I, I was okay with it. It's fine. That's what this movie's like. Uh, yes. But uh, that that end scene, we get all the way to that end scene. I'm like, oh, fine, whatever. It's fine. They get back together somehow. I don't, I don't know. It, I, we've just we've jumped over a year or eight months or something crazy like that. But then he manages to just like take me by the scruff of the neck and just drag me out of the film kicking and screaming <laughs> with this weird weird end sequence yeah but is that any is that any weirder than what rolling the credits normally does no but i feel meant like to take you out of the film no i know but usually it doesn't happen while the film's actually still taking place <laughs> i guess that's true there's usually not acting still going on when that happens um, and I feel like a lot of the, the magical realism stuff does that a little bit as well. Yeah. And we get, we me. get time jumps like that too. We do. Earlier in the film too. We do, but because her pregnancy, her pregnancy is that one. Her pregnancy yeah. jumps and then she's, and then the baby's there and then the baby's like six months old. And then when this happens, the baby's learning to talk and walking. So it's another, you know, six to six to 12 months. So. Right. And I'm okay with that. Cause I mean, that's how you have to tell a story, right? If you want to cover enough time, yeah. that's fine. 
this is probably the hardest jump because it's just so much happened in that time period that we don't know. Yeah. Like, how did they go from her rejecting his phone calls while he's calling her from, you know what I mean? Like, how do we go from point A to point B? Uh, is very, is, we have to fill in a lot of blanks. But, uh, that 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 in sequence, not not even the part where they're interacting together, like uh, Christine and Antoine acting together, act, interacting. That's fine. I mean, I'm I don't know how it happened, but I'm okay. Um, where I really run into it is when after they've walked by and we go to those two characters. Yeah, and that just takes me right the fuck out. Where they there. comment on it, and 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 the wife says, "Yes, now they're truly in love because uh, he's you know." trying to rush her out of the house while she gets ready. Yeah. Right, true love. And then and then he yeah. makes a, a, a stupid movie face. Yeah. <laughs> a really stupid movie face. That's I mean that's all, <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. It's it's a it's a mugging for the camera face. It's like yeah. a yeah. it's a oh yeah, of course you There would have been a trombone sound if this were a 1960s television show. What? Wah, wah. Yeah, right? Yeah, where where is the sad trombone or whatever? Yeah. Uh no, I just and then you know there's a couple other things that really occasionally take me out of the movie. Like I said, the the magical realism elements, like where the flower pops open, that's yeah. kind of a bit more than yeah. I can but handle. I I like that stuff happening. But I I think it would have made more sense if we hadn't watched the rest of this. If it didn't exist as an Antoine Joinel movie where there really isn't magical realism. Yeah, that's I, what I mean. Is that's why it takes me out. Of it. It's a cool idea, but it's like. What, do we live in a world where magic ex- exists? Is that is that a thing that we have now in this m- universe? Like in part three, is Antoine going to become like a sorcerer's apprentice or something? <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it, it's it's the little things like that 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 are make this less likable. Well, that and one giant thing, but. Then I find that for me, then stolen kisses is. Um, I find yeah. stolen kisses much more palatable than this. I still don't. <laughs> I don't dislike this movie. It's just like I feel like I'm starting to get into one of those situations where, like, when I buy this box set, this is the one where I be. Well, I just gotta go through this one. <laughs> we'll this see. We don't that, know what we don't know what the last one, Love on the Run is gonna be like. I don't know what Love on the Run is gonna be like, so we'll see still, but. Yeah. yeah, you know. Uh, well, well, if it's any indication, in love on the run, apparently their their marriage is dissolved, uh, but they are still friends. So yeah, but I'm okay. It's, so far, that's not that's not yeah that that seems like a reasonable like um, thing that would happen to Antoine, honestly, and Christine. You know, makes sense because despite what the the second movie espouses, I do not think they are headed towards a healthy relationship. No, no, certainly not. But yeah, no, this is this is a fun movie that obviously has a lot of flaws in its portrayals of Japanese culture, as you said, um, which are, are very valid complaints about this movie. Um, you know, and it's 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 easy to say a thing is a product of its time, and maybe that's true for this, but that doesn't dismiss it from uh, criticism, right? That's, right. Well, and I mean, I'm willing to criticize. I mean, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It, it's a thing that's worth noting, 
but it more to me is is a is symbolic of the fact that yeah. it's fun to say it's a product of its time, but do I honestly believe that a, this movie being made now would do anything differently? No, no I don't. probably not. It really because wouldn't. if there's there's certain things that we've progressed on, but the portrayal of Japanese women, especially, but Asian women more generally, yeah. like I've said before, yeah, stereotypes is not about Asian women like lot. that are definitely still problems. Um, they really are. I mean, I've I've seen enough TV shows and movies to know that they're not. A movie made in 2016 is not going to do a noticeably better job. Uh, so, uh, so one other quote from this movie uh, that that makes me <laughs> makes me feel like maybe he was taking a pot shot at eight and a half is okay. uh, is when uh, Christine says, "If you use if you use art to settle accounts, it's yeah. not real art." Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not eight and a half explicitly, but certainly at a lot of other work that we've seen. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I, I would say it might, it might be a more broad statement in general about things that he had seen that he <laughs> yeah. does not find to be good filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely. I, I, it's, a, it's a nice statement, though. I like it. Which is which is one thing to suggest that, you know, uh, my, my little my faint defense of him to say, well, maybe he's making fun of the people who do think like this instead of saying that he thinks like this directly. Um, that might suggest that, that if he were making fun of the people who think like that, he would be using his art to settle accounts. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, that's true, yeah. so, you know, sorry, but <laughs> right. Yeah, no, and then at the same time, yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's, yeah, there's a, although, you know, it's really, there's a fine line between satire and like, just. Yeah, yeah, sort of yeah, no, you're not, you're not settling accounts by calling people out. Right, yeah, yeah, I mean, what Christina's specifically talking about is like, actually, essentially. Yeah. Is, <laughs> what Christina's talking about, I think, is more, uh, more, uh. Uh, Juliet to the spirits, than, than right? Yeah, exactly. Where, yeah. where you whitewash, you whitewash yourself by, by being the guy controlling the art, um, right? And when, and, well, and also you where you, much. yeah, where you where you remove all the flaws and mistakes you've made, right? The whitewashing, and then paint the other person as just essentially the villain, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas there's a, it's a whole other thing when you just make a a quick like aside where you're like, well, you know. Just so you know, I noticed kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. This week we were talking about Bed and Board, a 1970 film by Francois Truffaut, uh, the fourth installment in the Antoine Grignel series. Next week, we will finish this up with the fifth installment, uh, Love on the Run from 1979, picking up nine years after this one with Antoine uh, and Christine divorced. And won't that be slightly sad? But they're still friends, so it'll be happy. Well, and then he gets to have more adventures. It seems like a logical progression, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a clear progression of the of the mistake they have in life. So it'll be interesting to watch nonetheless. We'll see that next week. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, a production of WithTwoBrains.com, hosted by Pat Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who also edits it down. Jonathan Hape did the music. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com. Look for us on iTunes. Or reach out to us at facebook.com slash lostincriterion or lostincriterion at gmail.com.